we challenged you as a church at the beginning of the year that we this would be the year to awake, to awaken spiritually to the signs of the time, to what's going on around us. There would be a time for us to awaken to our health, uh, our physical health, our mental health, our spiritual health, that we would be complete and ready for this run in this decade as to what God had for us to do. Uh, this could be the last day on earth for uh, God's people. He's promised that he's going to return. It could be the last year. It could be the last decade. Regardless, there is a work that God would have uh, us do. There's, there's something that God wants us to do each moment of each day that we have and we spend here on the earth. This time is precious. It is a commodity that's that's worth more than the, than all of the gold and all of the silver. The richest of men would give away all they had for another week, another month, another day of life to be with their family, to be with their friends. And so it is that we are um, in in this moment right now by God's divine choice. You you and I are here because God chose that we would be here during this time not during the 1800s or the 1700s or the 1600s or the 1500s. We are here now because God has designed that we should be here. The challenge of today's message is that while we have learned in, in recent days about social distancing and a lot has been revealed to us, that we are have been calling our church to consider and to think about what is happening in terms of our spiritual distance from God. Are we closing the gap? Are we getting closer in connection and in relationship with Him? Or are we being uh, drifting apart and allowing anxieties and fears and other such to move us further away from God? We've been talking to you a lot about the importance of how we come out of this. Not what's going on during this, but as we exit what is, is, has happened uh, across the globe in this pandemic, that we come out as a glorious church, as a church that is ready to engage the world with the greatest message of all time. I want to read to you a passage, and I want to encourage you today to take notes, because we're going to be talking about how you uh, live in the future as we go forward and how you, you, you plan for your family in the future. And I think some of the things that we share today will be very valuable. Michelle and I have never claimed to be the greatest of parents, and many of you know us personally. You know where we have made mistakes and failed. And so this is not a message about, I, I know how it is and you should learn from me. It is more a message about, I hung out with some people that helped us make some right decisions in key moments that has made all the difference. And it's helped us as a family to live closer to God. And we're very proud that our children are where they are right now in terms of their relationship with God and that they love God. And it is all glory to Him and not to us. But I'm grateful for those moments that we had interactions where we were lost as parents and didn't know what to do and didn't know how to plan for our family. And as Michelle and I started life together in marriage, that uh, we didn't know how to be a married couple. We didn't know how to live in harmony. And God 
uh, sent along people to mentor us, and of course, his word to teach us how to live day by day and moment by moment. The passage of scripture we selected today for our text is out of Deuteronomy chapter 11, beginning at verse 18. I want to read it with you today, and I'm going to invite you today again to interact with the message. So there'll be some points where I'm going to ask you to do something, and uh, I want you to feel at liberty wherever you are to interact and get engaged in what's going on. Beginning of verse 18, Deuteronomy chapter 11. Therefore, you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land in which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, like the days of the heavens above the earth. In these recent days, as we've been confined to our homes, We've discovered a great deal about what we like and what we don't like in recent days, haven't we? For some parents, you have in particular uh, been thrust into some roles that you weren't accustomed to. Some of you have become instructors and teachers in your homes without the added benefit of training to be a teacher and, and uh, without teaching tools and certainly without extra pay. You've been called to action to become the teacher in your home. For many of you, social isolation uh, has begun to take a real toll on you. It's taken a toll on you mentally, on, it's taken a toll in the sense of your, your stability, and uh, it's, it's hard to get through day by day, moment by moment. A good friend of mine, Jennifer Hampton, who lives in Las Vegas, and I hope is able to tune in today because I had gotten her permission to share with you a digital journal that she's been keeping as we go through social isolation. Uh, she refers to her children in this uh, digital blog as the natives, and her and her husband are the tribal leaders. And here are a few excerpts from her digital journal with her permission that I'm sharing with you today. Social isolation day four, she says. The formula for sanity was officially determined today. Three walks a day equals sanity plus cleaner house. The natives must be walked after each meal. Anything less results in instability. Yet despite this, the two natives still decided that licking me was somehow appropriate. We will be working on personal space and hygiene yet again tomorrow. <laughs> Social isolation day 18, she writes. Delirium has set in in the Hampton tribe. Today, the oldest native was caught playing with his sock in the toilet. When loudly scolded by the tribal leader, a meltdown more extravagant than any other meltdown to ever have occurred in our home transpired. One can only imagine what the other tribes on our street are thinking. It is unclear as to why this native chose to put his sock in the toilet bowl. Was he trying to clean his sock? If so, was it only one sock? 
She writes on Social Isolation Day 33, yesterday, she, she begins by saying, The tribal leader and I have an ongoing debate. If we decide to sell the natives, do we sell them to the circus or the zoo? They are very entertaining, leading me to believe the circus would be a better, the best fit. However, the oldest native is terrified of animals. So maybe an enclosed space away from other creatures would be more acceptable. Also, does the zoo or the circus have to pay us? Or do we pay them? Either is acceptable. Just want to be able to budget for this. Both of the parents, I think uh, one of them was kind of furloughed, and uh, Jennifer is the one who has to work. And so seeking a place of isolation with young children around has been very, very challenging for some of you to get through work at home. Now you know why you get in the car, drive to the office, rather than stay at home, right? And uh, all of the distractions that come along with that. But separated for, for all of us from our friends, from family members, isolated in our homes, behind these masks, and, and learning to survive as, as, as a unit, has taken its toll. We've seen everything on Netflix for some of you. You've finished projects in the home that you've put off for years. And uh, we've discovered our front and backyards, organized our closets, power washed our garages. On and on the list goes of things that we have done. But along with that, we've also discovered this. We've discovered some of our fears that we didn't really realize that were there. We've discovered anxieties. We've discovered our anger. We've discovered frustration. We've discovered impatience. And we've discovered a lack of preparation. That we were not really ready in any way, shape, or form for some of the things that have hit us. We weren't ready mentally and emotionally. We weren't ready financially. We weren't ready in so many ways for the kinds of things that you and I have been experiencing as we've gone through this uh, social isolation period. Family. We all have one, and while some of us loved our families growing up, others of us couldn't wait to get a fresh start and get out of the home. But either way, we want our future family to be a step above the families of our origin. We want to learn from mistakes. We want things to go better. And most of us want something better for our children, but what do we want? When it comes to our family what does the future look like? How should they live? What exactly are we aiming for as we live life and get ready to exit this situation? What are we aiming for and what does life look for us going forward? Over the years, Michelle and I had a number of discussions about what we want our marriage to look like, what we wanted uh, our life to look like with our children, what our family would be like, what we want our personal lives to be like. And the thing that surfaced, there were really two objectives that, that surfaced for us uh, as far as, as we thought about family. And those two primary 
objectives were for us individually, but they were also for us as a family. And the first one was that we wanted our kids and, and our whole family to love God above everything else. We wanted them to, to treasure Him, to love Him, uh, to, to love His family, to love everything that God loves. We wanted them to place Him first in their lives. And, and we wanted uh, them to know God in a personal way and have a personal relationship with Him. And that has directed a lot of decisions that we've made in life. A lot of uh, our journey has been about uh, helping ourselves remember and know and our children to know that God needs to always be first in your life. The second objective that we decided was, was so paramount was, uh, as, as Michelle and I, you know, our experience, your life experience, and as we started out in ministry, and uh, we saw a lot of things that that we thought we don't want that for our family and that we saw a lot of separation and division with families. People that we would encounter and talk to that would say they hadn't seen their brothers or their sisters in years or uh, they had not, they, they just really didn't have close relationship. And so we wanted our kids to love each other. We wanted them to, to love family and love being with family and be together. And that, that, objective influenced a lot of the way that we raised our kids and decisions that we would make because we wanted them to care about each other. We wanted them to have a life as adults together where they loved each other, cared for each other, and we wanted them to love us and, and want to be around us. And those were the two main objectives that we were aiming for in our family. And I think the number one thing that I would encourage you to do as we get ready to move forward with this message, is that you would jot down, first of all, I need to or we need to decide what we are aiming for in our future. Because if you are not aiming for it, if you're not directing the, the discussions, the decisions in life in a particular direction, you're not going to get to where you want to go. And I, I think it's best said this way, if you don't make this decision and live it out, you, will get the you won't get the family you want. You will want the family that you don't have. You will not get the life that you want. You will want the life that you don't have. It is so important that you uh, decide the objectives of where you want to go and where you're aiming. God gave us these directives to help us aim appropriately. He said to us in this passage we just read to lay up these words in our hearts and in our souls, to bind them as a sign upon our hand. And here's interactive part for us, number one, all right? He said to us, they shall be on the frontlets between your eyes. I want you to do something with me right now. I want you to take your fist and I want you to put it right between your eyes. Put your fist between your eyes. Now, you know, you walk around this way very long, you're going to constantly be reminded your fist is, is uh, between your eyes. You see it. Your peripheral vision picks this up. There's no way around it. And this is the language that God was using to help them. You could do something like this so you're reminded how to live on a daily basis. You're reminded that God's word is very uh, is is life giving. It's so important. It's a, it's how you live your daily lives. So go ahead and bind that to your forehead so that you know on a day by day basis what you're aiming for, where you're going, and what your direction is. 
He says, teach them to your children. When you're speaking to them, sitting in the house, you're walking by the way, you lie down, you rise up. Conversations that we had with our children on a regular basis uh, were about God, God's plans for their lives, how much He loves them, how much He cares about them, how we need to include Him in every single decision that we're making, how we need to invite Him in uh, early and often when we're forming relationships so that we know and can see red flags in people's lives and know that, that you know, we're not susceptible or trapped in a relationship that is going to lead us in the wrong direction. And finally, He said, write them on the doorpost of your house, and on your gates. Now, we literally did this in, in uh, the first house that we had built. We came up when the framers were finished, and we, we wrote these passages of Scripture on the framing of the doorposts of our home. And I know that Austin and Amanda kind of did the same thing, and they wrote some Scriptures in the babies' rooms, in their bedroom, uh, that, that were key to their life and important to them. And uh, so we literally did this, but he's saying that we should live our lives out in such a way that when people just come to our house, they know that we love God and we're serving Him, we put Him first. I'm going to share with you something that I think is important, and so take notes on this. This was something that we saw early in life, and it has to do with the four stages of parenting, and it's going to lead the way for some discussion as we go forward right now. This was something that wasn't original with us. It was something we saw, and I've seen longer lists and shorter lists, different age things, but this was very simple, and it was something that was helpful to us. So the first stage was the discipline years, ages one through five. Very, very important that we establish justice in the gates, God told Amos. Uh, Stand in the gate and establish justice in the gates uh, hate the evil, love the good, and it's, it's key for us to do this in those early years. And uh, I'm not going to talk today about, you know, the corporal punishment or not corporal punishment. We can talk about that at another time. But these are discipline years. These are years that we embed in the hearts and minds of our family and our children uh, how we live together under God and how important that is. Yeah. The second one is is training years. The training years they have listed as 5 through 12. And uh, I think they go, you know, they extend on in life. And we'll talk about that in a moment as well. But these are some key ages right here, the ages 5 through 12, where we can begin to do some training. Now, training... In the practical sense, there's, there's, our kids should come out of our household knowing how to balance a checkbook. <laughs> I don't care if you do it right here, you can do it later when they're older. But there's practical training, right? Uh, how to change a tire and things like that. And then, there's, and then there is spiritual training that is ongoing as well. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a moment as well. And the, the next stage is the coaching years. And uh, that's ages 12 through 18. And that's where we're coaching them up and encouraging them and, and showing them, you know, how to succeed in life and get ready for life in college, get ready for life outside the home, get prepared. And then uh, lastly is the friendship years. And uh, that's where as parents, we take on a new role. Uh, we are friends, we're advisors, we're encouragers. And it's kind of a new role for parents when the empty nest takes place. And so... Uh, let's go through these and talk them out. Discipline years. So I've been asked a lot about when do we discipline? When is it appropriate to discipline? Whether you have chosen to use some form of, of corporal punishment, 
uh, timeouts, whatever you're doing, when is it appropriate for us to discipline? And uh, we, we obviously have to make some decisions because otherwise we're walking around. It's kind of like the referee on, on, in a football game. He could throw a flag on every play, right? He sees holding. He sees you know, interference. He sees all kinds of things going on. But they choose to pocket those flags and save it for uh, key moments and key times. And so as parents, in, in a sense, we're doing the same kind of thing. Here are three reasons that the Bible gives us. They're non-negotiables for when we should discipline, all right? The first has to do with disobedience, and you can also call this rebellion. But I'm using D's because uh, it's going to help us remember, right? So we're using D words, disobedience. Titus chapter 3, verse 3 says, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. What Titus does, what, what, what happens in, in Titus 3.3 3 is, is it, it reveals to us, it shows us, if you will, when these, these indicators start showing up that we have rebellion going on in, in a life of, of our children. When we see them uh, disobedient, when we see them uh, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, and hating one another. What we are actually witnessing is a, is a rebellion. We're witnessing disobedience. And God was very strict and strong in dealing with his people, always has been, in the area of disobedience. And that is, is a key moment for us parents to step in and, and to establish again authority and to set the boundaries in our family. Not to live in disobedience. The second one is dishonesty. Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 through 10. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds. You have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. One of the things we wanted to teach our children was that trust is the currency of healthy relationships. It, if you're dishonest, you destroy trust and you destroy the health of the relationship. I've seen this over the years for uh, married couples. Uh, I've seen this in, in friendships. I've seen this in families, mothers and fathers of children and so on and so forth that they get estranged and pushed apart because trust was violated. And whenever trust is violated, whenever, whenever we create an, an untrustful environment, it's, it's so easy to do it. It can happen in just seconds. But it takes years sometimes to reconnect and to put back trust that's been destroyed. And one of the things we wanted to really emphasize with our children was how easy it is to create a distrust and how hard it is to rebuild it. And so it's, it's, it's better to take care of it and be trustworthy, be one who is worthy of trust. And so we wanted them to know that dishonesty would, would bring about discipline. The third one is, the Bible talks about as disrespect. First uh, Corinthians chapter 10, verse 24. Let no one seek his own way, 
but each one the one the uh, the other's well-being. Our children, um, as pastors' kids, were on stage, so to speak, from a very young age. They were seen by a lot of people to be examples. And we wanted them to understand that without feeling the pressure to perform. And so we taught them that the, one of the, the best ways to live uh, in a, a life that is, is fulfilling when you're kind of in the limelight is to be respectful of everybody that's around you. Now, when I, the, the church that I grew up in and our children uh, you know, grew up in this environment as well, when we came to church, they often knew uh, different members of the family, calling them brother and sister. Brother and sister. Now, we've gotten away from that, and in one respect, it's kind of sad because that was set to create this respectful environment. We were uh, calling them brothers and sisters, recognizing that we are all members of one family. And so that was the first title of their name. You know, Sister K, uh, Brother Bill. You know, that we would recognize that these are our brothers and sisters, and we should respect them, and we should love them, and we should care about them. And it was important for us to teach our children to have the highest of respect for all the people that were around us, to teach them to have respect for authorities. When they got in trouble at school, we didn't go try to, to, to correct their teachers. We, we found out what had happened with them, and uh, we also talked with the teachers and people that were involved, and we called them to live under authority, to be respectful to their teachers, to be respectful to everybody who had authority over their lives. The second years that we're talking about were the training years, and uh, so I want to read this passage of Scripture to you out of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof and for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. My sister-in-law has a podcast, and uh, this week she said uh, something kind of interesting on it. She was talking about how uh, we often use the language, you know, uh, I got married, I didn't have a manual, uh, for that. I don't know how to be married. There wasn't a, isn't a manual out that tells you how to be married, how to get along with each other. Uh, we, you know, we had kids. There's no manual that comes with the child when they're born, so we don't know how to raise them. And she was bringing up the point that we were all given the manual, yeah. right? Yeah. The Bible. We were all given the manual to uh, understand how to get along and how to, how to build healthy relationships. We... Uh, wanted our children to not just know the scriptures, but to know how to live out the scriptures, how to pray the scriptures and memorize the scriptures. I can remember key moments in in the lives of our children where these things played out, and there's flashes of that that go through my mind even as I'm talking to you today. I remember going to a Bill Gothard uh, conference, and there was you know thousands of people there, and hundreds of children were going. Uh, while we were being coached as parents in the auditorium, hundreds of kids were being coached in classrooms all over the campus, uh, in uh, the church there in Phoenix, Phoenix Bible. And so when they came back at the end of the week, the kids were all across the stage, 
and they began to, to, to recite, uh, he would call out a, a value, uh, honesty, integrity. He would call out a value, and then they would quote these scriptures. And I, I can remember as a, a parent sitting out there just being so moved, watching my daughter Micah just quote these scriptures and call them out along with everybody in that group. They had memorized these things. They had been embedded in them. They understood how to attach them to an action. It wasn't just saying scriptures. It was saying the scripture that tied with a value that they wanted to live out in their lives. These coaching years are, are so important for us as parents. One of the things that we, uh, it was an original to us that we did during the coaching years was that we took advantage of the opportunity to educate our kids. And uh, I, I had a chance to do what I, I called like taking your kids out like on a date, spending time with them one-on-one. -on -one. And uh, those were great opportunities for me both to find out about their lives and to answer questions for them. But here are ways that we took time to coach them. First of all, we wanted to explain the whys in life, especially as they related to spiritual things. Why God needs to be first in your life. Why we go to church. Why we pray over everything. I mean, they, they, we prayed over their tests. We prayed over their bruises and skin knees. We prayed for their friends when they, their friends had problems, for their aunts and uncles. We prayed over our family. And they, they had the, the, the question from time to time, why do we pray? We wanted to answer that for them. Why we give of our time, of our talent and our treasure. We taught them early to be givers. We taught them early to give their talent, to give their time, uh, to give away of their, their treasure to the Lord. And we answered the question why they needed to do that. The second uh, category for training, I think, would be life lessons. So life lessons uh, are things that we talked about a little bit about a moment ago, which is like driving and taking care of a car. Um, we wanted them to, uh, Michelle was uh, instrumental in this, uh, she told them that, so, so when, you know, we answered a lot of questions earlier in life, which helped us when they arrived at that age, when they got to be, you know, 15 and I think it was uh, eight months in, in Arizona, you could go apply for your driver's license. So they were ready, man, they knew, but we had already answered the question for them about uh, what needed to be in place before they could go get their driver's license. And that was that they needed to have $1,000 plus in the bank. $1,000 plus in the bank. Why? Because our car deductible was $1,000. And if you had an accident, we're taking that out of the bank and paying uh, for the, uh, the deductible so that we can get the car repaired and fixed, right? So driving and taking care of a car, dating, uh, we wanted them to understand what, what dating was about. It's not about just, you know, uh, it, we're, we're searching for the person that God would put in our life as a life mate. And so, you know, we're not just out there to notch our belts and have another person that we dated or whatever. We value people. We want to, we, you know, we want to learn about them and, and show love to them and, and be um, people that are respectful of, of the relationships around us. So we were teaching them things like that. We were teaching them to develop healthy relationships and to be fiscally responsible. We tried to model it, and then we tried to plant that in their lives that they would understand. Another 
big key life lesson that you've heard me talk about uh, that we shared with them quite a bit was we did not want them to lay blame or justify when, when, when things went bad. We wanted them to take responsibility. We were encouraging them. And the reason why is that when you refuse to take responsibility for the, your decisions in life, and here it is, you set yourself up to be a lifelong victim. If you're not going to take responsibility in any way, shape, or form for what is happening in your life, whether it was you know, somebody perpetrating something on your life or a bad decision that you've made that led to that, then you are setting yourself up to be a lifelong victim. And we did not want our children to see themselves lifelong as victims. Right? The third category of, of this training had to do with Christian living. We wanted to teach them about worship, about obedience, about answering the call of God on their life. And these were key throughout this season, about so important for us to help them understand and answer questions for them about uh, how to worship God, how to, to, that we needed to prioritize obeying Him and following Him, and that He had a call on their life, and they needed to answer that call. They needed to be sensitive to the call of God on their life. And this was, this was so important to us to, to be able to get them to understand that God cares enough about you that he designed you with purpose. That he has a mission and a plan that only you can fulfill. That God wants you to, and he wants to use you in some key ways and key moments over the course of your life. So my question is, we're getting ready to close out today, is what exactly are you aiming for? What are you aiming for? What are you aiming for? The passage ended with God saying this, this is a good thing you should be aiming for, that the days, of your, uh, that the days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land. And, it, you know, more than just a long life, I think what this is talking about is a legacy, a legacy of Christianity. There are people who are living lives that are leaving behind themselves a legacy of poverty. There are people who are living lives who are leaving behind themselves a legacy of infidelity. There are people who are living lives right now, families, that are, their parents that are living out lives right now that are um, living out a... a a legacy of divorce. What are you aiming for? And so I think in this passage, when it says that your children may be multiplied in the land which the Lord has swore to you and your, to your fathers to give, God is saying, I want you to have a legacy of faithfulness. I want the generation, I want it to be easier for the generations behind you because they don't have to pay off your debts first, uh, literally, financially. Um, you know, mentally, uh, in every every other way, they don't have to pay off those debts. I want them to inherit an inheritance of faith, a, a fresh groundwork to build and go forward and get closer to me than even you were. You know, my parents gave me the very very best that they had. They were flawed. They had they made mistakes, but they gave me better than they had in their own lives. I, especially as it relates to my dad. My dad grew up uh, very poor. And grew up, you know, didn't have a, a 
education. He, he, got, he left school as a ninth grade. And, but they, they gave me better than they had. They gave me an opportunity to go on with my education and, and to do uh, better than where they were. And I'm hoping that happens for our children. We would give a, a foundation so that they can do better than us. They can achieve and do greater things. Ask our worship team to come. Has God used this season of social distancing to reveal to you that you may be spiritually distant? Has God shown you in this season in which, you know, we have been isolated to our homes? Has God been trying to show you or trying to reveal to you that you have distanced from him and he's calling you back home? He's calling you back to the word. He's calling you back to living your life out loud as a Christian in the way that he always intended for you to live. We were talking about the start of, of this class following Jesus, and some may uh, say, you know what, it's, that's very rudimentary, it's very basic stuff. I don't know that I need to do that. You need to do it if you're not living it. Yeah. If you're not walking it out in your life. If it's challenging for you to live and walk out God's word, then I would encourage you to take the class. To do everything you can to press in and get closer to God. If it's challenging for you in, in the area of, of stewardship and giving, if it's challenging for you to be loving and kind and patient and gentle, then I would encourage you to do what you need to do to get closer to God, that we can be more like him and not so distant from him. As we press into his presence, his holiness covers us. His grace covers us. His mercy covers us. His forgiveness covers us. And that makes it so much easier for us to forgive one another. You know, when Michelle and I set an objective that our kids would love each other and be close to each other, I love the fact that they enjoy being around each other. And they really enjoy each other's company. It's not unique to us. I see a lot of the families in our church where that's the case, where your kids just love to be around you and they love to be uh, around each other. And that is so rewarding, isn't it? And I love that they love to be around their extended family, their cousins. And, but it takes a lot of work to make that happen. We could have made decisions to isolate. We could have made decisions to do our own thing. And uh, we could have been less inclusive throughout our life. And that would have separated them and, and caused them to be not as close. But those decisions, they've pressed in. And God is calling you and I right now to say, are, are we close as I want us to be? You call me Heavenly Father. Do you treat me like I really am your Father? Do we talk every day? I care about you. I love you. Have you invited me into every circumstance? Have you invited me to remove the fear and the anxiety? God called us to awaken as we begin this, this year and called us to be a healthy church in body, mind, and spirit. What are you doing about any of that? What are you doing about being healthy in your body? What are you doing about being healthy in your mind? What are you doing about being healthy in your spiritual walk with God? What are you aiming for? Because it's possible that you're not aiming at anything and so you're really, you know, you're really not on target. 
and God's calling you back and says, here's what I want you to aim for. I want you to put me first in your life above everything else. I want you to prioritize your relationship with me. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these other things are going to begin to fall in place. All the other priorities of life will begin to take shape. The fears about who provides and takes care of you are going to be taken care of when you usher yourself into my presence and wait upon me because your problems are huge right now. But when you get in the presence of a big God, they get small. The mountains of your life become just very small and tiny whenever you press in and get into my presence. Let's invite his presence. Father, we invite you to come right now. Lord, if we have distanced from you in some way, we ask you to forgive us. And we press in in this moment to be close to you. And we invite you, Lord, to build our future family. But we know we have to participate in it. It's going to be hard work. But we're willing to do the hard work. And it's never too late. It doesn't matter if our kids are past these age levels. We still can be a blessing and a family that is a blessing. If we'll make decisions today and live them out. So we want to put you first. Send your blessing, Lord, upon our families, upon our homes, upon our households. In Jesus' name, lift your voices and song as we worship together.